Good morning, everyone. Boradar Paub, um, and welcome to this, our WEN Cafe on the rights of older women. Now, our vision at, at WEN Wales is a Wales free from gender discrimination. We want men and women to have equal power and equal voice in society, and also equal power over their own lives. And of course, this includes all women of all ages and all intersections. And we all know that older women face discrimination on so many levels. To me, it feels like an absolute double whammy. They've gone, we've, we've gone through our lives um, coping with um, discrimination in terms of the gender pay gap, in terms of having to do the majority of caring. You may have had to bring up kids, care for older relatives and so on, and experience the kind of sexism that unfortunately all women experience. So then you get to a, an older age and other factors come into play. The menopause, pension rights. We know that women born in the 1950s have got serious issues over their pensions. So all of these issues um, we really want to discuss and talk about today at our WEN Cafe. So I'm really looking forward to, to, to introducing the panel shortly and talking to them about these important issues. I also wanted to say that WEN Wales is a membership organisation and we would really love you to join us and add your voice to our network because the more women and the more organisations we represent, the stronger our voice is and the more change we can make. One more thing to say about the WEN Cafe is that we really use this, this opportunity talking to our panellists and getting the lived experience of women to then amplify your voices and take those voices to policymakers. So it's really important, do, do join in the discussion at the end um, and ask your questions and we will take on board your suggestions and make sure they are pushed forward to Welsh Government and the other people that can make decisions in this area. So um, I'd really like to, first of all, come to Andrea Cooper. And Andrea is the safeguarding lead for the Older People's Commissioner for Wales. Her experience is, um, really mainly coming from a social worker background. She's worked as a social worker for years with older people. So she's really going to be bringing that experience to our panel today. And I'd like to start by asking you, Andrea, um, what key issues facing older women in Wales is the Office of the Older People's Commissioner currently working on? Okay, thank you, yeah. Um, well, stopping the abuse of older people is one of the Commissioner's key priority areas. And when I say older people, we know from research that the majority of older people experiencing abuse are older women. Doesn't mean that men don't experience abuse, but I'm mainly talking about women. So the Commissioner has been involved or, or has commissioned a number of pieces of research over recent years to sort of, um, explore the issues of abuse amongst older women and the particular challenges that they face. Because we know that older women have, you know, they are subject to all of the same kinds of abuse as those within younger age groups. So whether that's physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, and actually they may be at increased risk of certain types of abuse because of perhaps care needs, loneliness and isolation, illnesses like dementia but they face a lot of additional challenges in getting the help that they need. And there are lots of reasons for that. So the commissioner recently um, commissioned a piece of research to look at the services available 
for um, around domestic abuse and violence and to see to what extent they sort of were appropriate to the needs of older people. And what she found as a part of this research was that older people have massive challenges in disclosing abuse because, for example, they may be dependent on perpetrators, they may rely on them for care. We know that older people characteristically experience abuse for twice as long as those within younger age groups before that abuse is disclosed. Um, so it can be very difficult and, and older people don't always know where to go for the help that they need. A lot of the advertising is online and not all older people use digital technology, some do, but I think the levels are still a lot lower than for other age groups. And even when they actually do, you know, seek help and find support, what we have found is a lot of the services don't particularly look at the needs of older people. So one of the pieces of work that the commissioner looked at was the accommodation available for older women that wanted to flee abusive relationships. And actually, the, the sort of accommodation they were offered might be sort of refuge accommodation that younger women might typically go into with their children, but older women didn't want to use that accommodation, or perhaps it wasn't adapted if they have particular sort of mobility issues or whatever. So, that, so there are massive additional challenges, which mean that this group are completely sort of overlooked in terms of the support and provision. Okay, so it sounds, Andrea, very much like you're trying to highlight um, highlight the issues that older women face yeah. uh, with a particular spotlight on violence against women. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they are very much a hidden group, you know, and there's this assumption that domestic abuse and violence is something that happens to younger women. So by implication, you know, older women... Um, who, who are also experiencing this abuse are just not getting the support that they need. Mm. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the um, Violence Against Women's Services like Welsh Women's Aid, Bowso and Clamai, etc., are um, do they have the resources they need to to deal to deal with this? Is it is it, do, do you feel like they need more funding or um, it just you need to raise awareness? What's the key thing? I think both really. I mean, one of the things that I will come to later is the Commissioner's Action and Steering Group on Stopping Abuse. And a lot of the organisations that you have mentioned are a part of, of the sort of action group. So um, they work in collaboratively, actually, to raise awareness of the issues of abuse amongst older people. But I mean, obviously, the, there is a funding issue because if, if you're looking at accommodation, there needs to be particular accommodation sometimes and, and training needs to be um, more inclusive of the needs of older people. So there needs to be sort of bespoke training for professionals, really, to raise this, this issue. So obviously, there is a resource implication here. OK, thank you, Andrea. That's a really useful um, introduction to your work and the work of the Older People's Commissioner. I'm going to come to Rahila next um, from the Ethnic Youth Support Team. Um, Rahila is the Gwent Regional Coordinator of East's BAME Engagement Programme and um, is here to talk about um, BAME Older Women. So I wanted to ask you, Rahila, um, how you and East have been engaging with BAME Older Women and how has your work been affected by the pandemic? Welcome. Uh, okay, no, thank you. Uh, just, just kind of my background. My first job was with Age Cymru, actually starting with older people from diverse communities 
19 years of mental health and for three and a half years um, with East, uh, I covered Gwent um, prior to lockdown, um, end of 2019, I have come across a couple of older women because my engagement was one-to-one, but also engaging with diverse groups across Gwent, especially Newport is very much diverse. Um, end of 2019, I came across a couple of incidents where I felt some of the women were not treated, to my knowledge, but they told me were not treated fairly. So I ended up leading older women agenda across Gwent, but then we had the first uh, event we had with Helena, older people commissioner, Helena Clarks was in January before lockdown. Uh, there were a lot of issues being raised by older women. There were very few men, but mostly they were women from the very much diverse communities. Uh, we had some professionals, which was obviously they would wanted to work and support older women. So that was before before the pandemic, but as soon as, before, when we met actually, there was a couple of issues. There were, people were making, not making complaints. If there was anything, they were not very happy with health or social care services, they would not go ahead or even GPs because they were feeling that their voices would not be heard. So there was that issue. So we, I start, and Alzheimer and dementia is another, which is having a lot of huge impact on older women and their families and the carers. As soon as we went into lockdown, it was quite hard actually for us to engage um, with majority of women because of the digital exclusion. Um, but gradually people started coming online. Uh, I have been touched with Age Alive, Coffee and Laugh. Um, there is Muslim young women's group who will have an older woman, obviously mother-in-laws and moms. Uh, there's a Muslim women's group. There, is, there are a couple of other group, um, fan group, um, I used to contact like ESOL classes, but during epidemic it made difficult, but what happened within the first, uh, from March till July, we did 18 or 19 event, but our first uh, online forum was actually BME, mostly crisis with food and second session was covering older people because we felt they were very vulnerable. We were hearing from people not having on the list for food supplies, uh, there were people who were living on their own, having no family. There was somebody who was completely disabled, had benefit, had stopped. So I had to access wherever I could, actually food supplies, like feed Newport, churches. Uh, some individuals were very much forthcoming, actually, because we went straight into Ramadan, actually, because you know Newport is very much multicultural. Uh, also, with Germany Association, they were delivering food. So this is how despite my work was not one-to-one, -one, but because we went into a pandemic and my 25 years of work within Newport and three and a half years engagement through East actually um, allowed me to find out any vulnerable, even speaking to people, are you, have you been in touch with your neighbors? Have you been? So this is how we did, but we've also managed to have online forum where we had older people commissioner um, we had carers and older people attended. They were voicing their opinion, um, which uh, was very much taken into account by Helena Hacklocks. And we are really amazed by her response, if I'm honest, actually. So we, our project is actually to feed back to Welsh government with recommendation, policy changes. But we had her on our side as well, actually, attending our events, listening to carers and older people, feeding back to Welsh government. Uh, on our behalf as well, actually, which was additional um, 
I still feel because, I mean, the first lockdown was really horrendous. There were more deaths, as probably we're all aware of from diverse communities. Um, I had to speak, it, it, just, it just happened, you know, like sometimes when we go into crisis, we don't expect these things actually, but being a human, I could not say to my manager, who obviously Ginger who's left us, I said, well, look, we, we are human actually. If someone has gone into hospital, I had a colleague who had a hearing problem. He was in late seventies and I, he was not even served the food when he went in. Luckily he didn't went on ventilators. He, he was in, in the morning. He was never given a food until 10 o'clock at night time. Actually, I had to send him a message to say, can you buzz for a nurse actually? And I will speak to them. If you can't speak to them, ask for a piece of toast or anything. You know, all these kind of things kind of are landed. But also one of the amazing thing, I'm not sure if you're all probably experienced, even, uh, even uh, obviously older people, Commissioner Welsh government had acknowledged that, that how in this epidemic, uh, people from all walks actually became very active. Communities came together, uh, regardless what your ethnicity, your gender is. Which, which was really um, positive actually for us as East. Uh, trust was something else they had in me as well. Um, mm. I mean, the other group I'm very much active is actually um, on a BME cultural hub, which was, there was going to be a building, but there are 20 odd groups in that, more people joined in. So this is how we've been engaging with people, but I've also been over the phone as well, actually. Those people who can't kind of, you know, obviously digitally, so I have to ring them if they need any food or anything, but also asking other people to help us as well. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. no, that, that's great, Rahida. Thank you for that rundown. And so, yeah, you've been very much at the forefront, at the sharp end, giving personal support um, to people. I can see that. And I think it's interesting what you said about digital exclusion. Do you feel now? Now that more people, just briefly, are more people online now? Are more older women now able to access your forums and be online? Um, I think there has been definitely a shift, actually. I mean, one of the group I can see age alive, they are doing so many activities and now more people are joining. But also East has a re recently, there was a post, East has done a partnership work, actually, with Newport City Council, where they will be looking for volunteers who can help older people or those who are digitally excluded actually while we may go back into centers with keeping the distance and all that. So we are hoping, fingers crossed, you know, we don't get any other wave or anything else, but we, we hope that that will work actually. Um, and obviously people are using children, grandchildren. I have used carers actually, asking a couple of women to join forum actually for the carers to set the Zoom link and ask them to join us, even if they don't want to show the video or, you know, obviously, I don't want to speak anything. Right. OK, well, um, that's really helpful rundown, um, Rahila, of, of what's been going on in, in, in Gwent and your support. And now I'd really like to come to Lisa Nichols, our third uh, panellist, last but not least, Lisa. So Lisa is a menopause champion and campaigner. Uh, she's the lead campaigner, actually, for the brilliant charity that is Fair Treatment for the Women of Wales. Um, they're a patient-led organisation and she's been really working hard to try and improve menopause services for women in Wales, as has the whole charity. So Lisa, I'd love it if you can tell us a bit about uh, Fair Treatment for the Women of Wales' menopause campaign and how you became involved and what issues you specifically think Welsh women are facing when it comes to the menopause. 
Hello, thanks. Um, yeah, well, I joined um, Fair Treatment for Women in Wales um, back in 2018. And it was, a, it was as a result of a TV documentary that I took part in um, that the CEO of the organization contacted me. And, um, and I think at the time, you know, I was very, as I am now, very, very passionate about trying to improve care for women in Wales who were experiencing similar um, signs and symptoms of menopause um, like myself. And um, so uh, Debbie Schaffer and myself got together and we put together a campaign. <laughs> and um, and uh, so anybody that's very interested in menopause, I know that you've got your when cafe hashtag um Catherine but um we started a twitter campaign um not just hot flushes um and we started a campaign um i think it was about oh well over 1200 women signed up to the campaign um and we put a petition um towards the then health minister Vaughan Gethin um, and that was um, all about calling for improved menopause services for all women in Wales. Um, and one of the reasons why I got involved at the time um, was because I was starting to experience barriers to what, what I would now deem to be very simple um, care that any woman should be able to get through their local GP service. Um, um, so as a result of that campaign, we found um, that in the whole of Wales, there was only four recognised menopause services for women. So as you can imagine, everyone, um, unless you were living in that health board, um, your, the barriers that you would be facing um, just three years ago um, would have been very, very challenging um, for you to get over. Um, so if we start with, you know, the, the general typical menopause care that we should be able to get access through um, to our GP, the biggest barrier for women is the lack of education that, um, that health care professionals are experiencing. And for the majority of those health care professionals in Wales, so particularly, uh, specifically GPs then, um, as part of their GP training, um, during that six years of education, they will most probably only get a maximum of three hours education on the menopause. And of course, three hours in a six year um, course, um, educational course, you probably would have forgotten most of that. If any, you wouldn't have remembered any, unless of course, you take a specific interest in women's health. Um, so typically now, if a woman uh, presents to the typical signs of symptoms of the menopause to their GP, they will, there's a high percentage of women that will walk out of that surgery with a prescription for antidepressants. Um, and that indeed happened to me. Um, and it's, it, you know, happened to many of the women that I speak to, whether that be online um, or in person. Um, and although there have been some improvements within these three years, it is still very limited knowledge and awareness of menopause symptoms. And, and I think because there's a lack of specialism within Wales, um, it really is a postcode lottery, um, whether you get the right care or not. 
So our, I guess our campaign, it's about trying to improve education, um, not just to the healthcare professionals, but to women as well. Um, I think, you know, if women can self-diagnose menopause symptoms, they may have uh, they may feel self-empowered to go along to their GP and say, um, all of these things are happening to me. I believe that they are typical signs and symptoms of the menopause. Um, and then, you know, some women are very likely to still hit barriers. And, and we are still hearing from women who are saying, I'm going to my GP and I'm talking about all of the typical signs and symptoms of the menopause. However, my GP is is very fearful to prescribe me with HRT because of the Women's Health Institute um, research that happened way back in the early 2000s where um, there was it was published that there was a high risk of breast cancer and although those myths and misconceptions you know have now been challenged and were found to be incorrect um, there are still GPs that are not um, aware or they are very fearful. Um, and bearing in mind, you know, for a, for a woman, oestrogen, um, every single cell in our body needs oestrogen. So as women get older, for example, and they start having issues with osteoporosis, um, heart disease, um things like even dementia and alzheimer's you know there's research going on now with you know if women take estrogen um hrt within 10 years of starting i.e the ages of 45 to 55 the risks of, a, of an older woman um experiencing dementia and alzheimer's is significantly reduced okay. so um so our campaign really is about making education part of the curriculum so we grow up knowing about the menopause just as we do um, the menstrual cycle for, for girls and teenagers that's great lisa thank you so much yeah it's so important that we taught about it you're absolutely right um we we aren't taught about it at schools and we, and we should be and i know your charity's been doing some work around rse and making sure that um people are taught in schools around relationship and sexual health, uh, sexual health and um, relationships education and all of that. So that's brilliant. Um, thank you. So I'm going to come back to Andrea now um, and just continue talking about a question we touched on earlier, which is how has the pandemic exacerbated the issue of older women experiencing abuse? And also what policy solutions are you calling for? I don't know if you can deal with both of those at the same time, Andrea, that would be great. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Yes, that there is um, a sort of feeling that the pandemic has um, increased levels of abuse amongst older women um, for lots of reasons, such as, you know, there's a lot more isolation, for example, the usual monitoring and checking procedures have perhaps been reduced or withdrawn. So it's, it's left people more vulnerable and at risk, really. Um, the, the commissioner, in response to concerns about increased abuse throughout the pandemic, as I touched upon earlier, has sort of implemented an action group, a stop in abuse action group, which is led by a steering group. So there's over 30 different organisations that are a part of that. 
And what has happened, they developed a strategy to looking at ending the abuse of older people. And there's sort of six key elements of this strategy. It looks at things like better data collection, for example, because at the moment the data collected on uh, numbers of older people, or data collected on abuse, I'm sorry, is not disaggregated by age. So it's not possible to know how big a problem this really is. But other elements of the strategy are to look at supporting services, to look at bespoke training, and to really hear the stories of older people and older women who have experienced abuse, so that you know those stories absolutely underpin all of the work that is taken forward. Um, yeah, so yes, it, it, in short, there are concerns about these increased levels of abuse. And I know that both of the, the areas of research that I touched upon earlier, so that's the mapping services research and the accommodation research came out of the action and steering group. Plus they've developed resources. They, they produced an information pack, for example, which was um, sort of focused upon raising awareness of the signs of abuse in older people and also the services that might be available. There was another um, campaign, a Stay Safe Online sort of campaign, which was designed to sort of protect people during the pandemic when they might be using more digital means because it was known that scammers and people that wanted a fraud were very active during that period. And there's also been a stop in abuse directory now that has come out of um, the mapping services research, which sort of lists, you can put in a postcode and it lists all of the services within any geographical area. So they, that's been the sort of response to, to the pandemic, really. In terms of policy responses, um, yeah, I mean, it, obviously there, there's lots of things being called for. One is around awareness raising. So it's looking at data collection mechanisms, so trying to get that broken down by age. And I can see one of the questions that came up in the chat as well. The research did look at um, sort of women from black and ethnic minority groups. And yeah, there are particular issues with, with those women disclosing abuse because of feelings of sort of, or perhaps feelings of family honor or shame. So yeah, for some women that, that is even harder. But yes, policy-wise, policy, policy -wise, we're, we're calling for better sort of awareness, better data collection mechanisms, better services so that all of the specialist services actually find ways to include older women and to, to ensure that they think about the needs and particular experiences of older women. And another thing that's being called for is to look at um, justice, access to justice for older women as well because the rates of prosecution amongst older people experiencing abuse are really low for the perpetrators, really, really low. Um, and I think what tends to happen is that a lot of older people are perhaps their situations are managed through safeguarding services. And I mean, I, I came from that background, so you know, I'm not criticizing that, that sort of way of working, but what tends to happen is that it doesn't end up in criminal justice systems. So we're looking at trying to sort of hold perpetrators more to account as well. Great. Thank you very much, Andrea. Um, I'm going to come to Rahila next. And Rahila, um, we've got a question here um, on the chat um, she, from Mamta, who wanted to know if um, 
BAME women are reluctant to report abuse and ask for help? And did they experience different type of abuse, um, Rahila? And also kind of linked to that is what, are there any other issues apart from this one that Mamta's raised um, that are specific to BAME women, um, BAME older women, I should say? Um, yeah, definitely. As I was listening to um, obviously Andrea, I, I, I could relate. I mean, there are within lockdown, um, there has been a couple of women have actually either come across to me personally or within group setting, people are asking which domestic, you know, which organization I've got a sister who is younger, older, but I have come across just an example. I came across with a call actually in the evening from a friend of mine from Newport saying that she's got a woman from obviously past Cardiff who has come to stay with her 67 years of age from Asian background, grown up kids, moved away, grandchildren. Um, she need she need she need to go somewhere basically. So it was quite sort of for me in the evening. So I, I had to ring actually and I had to ring Bauzo, a woman's aid. So it is there. There is because uh, she when I spoke to her, she said she could not cope anymore because we were in a pandemic. And I think there has been, if I'm honest, there has been increased in domestic violence in younger women with the older women, if I'm honest, they get kind of way because they've lived their age, they've got grown up children, you know, they've got grandchildren as, as it, I was earlier, it's honor, it's shame. And sometimes the community will say that you've lived all your life with your, you know, with your husband, if the abuse is from a husband, then why on earth you're leaving now without understanding that they had enough and they can't cope anymore. Financial abuse is something else. I was dealing with somebody uh, as soon as we went into lockdown, her son had her card. So I had to give a note to her to go to the bank because I could not go out for my personal health reasons. And uh, I think she went there, they realized, I gave my number, I make, then they can call me. I think they blocked her card. And when the situation got a little bit better, I had to go with her to have a, another card issue. And I said to her, because they could not send her card and the, and the pin number to any other address apart from her own house where her children grown up, even working within her daughter is working even in domestic violence. I, th I don't think it was kind of uh, um, purposely, but I think when, when someone is old and they've lost their husband years back, you know, the, the, there are extended families, there's a pressure there. Um, I think they, she was helping them financially, but I had to speak to her daughter basically, rather than for me to, I said, look, this is her money. You know, she's entitled for it. She will give it to you, but you can't force her. You know, you have to ask your brother to return her card and not to ask, you know, I mean, these are the issues that I end up dealing and other group member, there's a Muslim women's group. They were, they have been dealing with it, but it is something which is taken very much personal within Asian communities and other communities still. They want to, apart from that, sorry, I'm just going to be quick. Apart from that, we obviously the language has been one of the major barriers actually, which is, which is not helping older women accessing health and social care and other services, a lack of understanding, which is keep coming the cultural understanding amongst professional um, to, to deliver culturally appropriate service. Uh, domestic abuse is already on my list, which I've already mentioned. Um, there's a lot of uh, need, work need to be done actually to tackle discrimination, racism and ageism against older people, especially if you are a Muslim woman, you dress differently, you can't speak English. 
it's, it's nightmare for anybody standing on like even in front of the like in a queue in hospital GP when you can't speak and now we had an epidemic you know we, we can't go and see GP honor to get an appointment with the GP and I have dealt with a lot of cases that where reception will ask you all kind of questions and if you are going through mental health you, you don't want people even if it's over the phone like you can't explain how you are feeling so I had to end up calling on, on some people's behalf and say, look, they need to speak to the GP and you need to book an interpreter actually, because I'm not available. Um, it's so very to... much around access to services, Rahila, yeah, yeah, and yeah. making making both, you know, it, it seems to me you're, you're saying we need um, definitely action from the services in terms of understanding um, the barriers that, that some BAME older women are facing in terms of language um, and so on. Absolutely. And um, I think that's really interesting. Thank you. Sorry, I, I did you want yes. to just finish off? I, no, I just want to finish off actually before that, um, which, which may cover actually, I can cover in my, my other question actually, but just to say that we, we haven't been only engaging with the older people, we've been engaging with, uh, with partnership always. Our forum were not only grant based, they were all Wales forum actually. So we have got about 40 organizations on board with us. They have attended our roundtable meeting relevant with older people, older people commissioner, and also with the Welsh government, you know, with the, with the race equality, which I'll mention when we go to the next point. So thank you very much. Now that's, that's great, Rahila. Thank you. Um, I've got another question here, which I'm going to come kind of tack on to Lisa to, to ask you, Lisa, to think about and respond to, which is a question from Jen Ramsey, who's asking about the panelists' view on older women in the workplace um, and do you think ageism in, in work is an issue and how can we tackle this? Um, well, if you think about it, um, women of a menopausal age, for example, are going to be between the age of 45 and 55. Um, so why does menopause matter so much to us? Well, when we're at that age, um, I think we're in the prime of our life, a lot of women, you know, so in my case, for example, um, I was in a senior management role um, and I got, and, you know, menopause, it has, a, it's a, it has a huge impact on work as well as home and relationships and health needs. So, for example, if you work for an organization with those menopausal symptoms and not taken into consideration, you will hear from many women um, who end up having to leave their jobs. And indeed, that happened to me four years ago. Um, we didn't have a menopause uh, policy within the... I worked for a large national organization at the time. Um, it was a very you know, executive senior job um, and one that I'll never go back to because my symptoms were so debilitating at the time. Um, so, you know, some of the symptoms, for example, you know, brain fog, lack of sleep, hot flashes, um, anxiety, you know, maybe some women will experience depression. Um, and of course, when you're in a leadership role, you're expected to be on top of your game, um, you know, every minute of every day. Um, and, um, and the thing is, I think for, for a lot of women, we don't always know what's happening to us when we experience these typical signs and symptoms. Um, we believe it's as a result of stress, maybe having some care and responsibilities at home for our, our um, relatives. 
um, sometimes, you know, still caring for younger families as well. So we put it down to the struggles of having to balance all of those responsibilities. Um, so, you know, and, you know, as women get older, we are still, um, a lot of us are still in, in paid employment as well. So um, many women uh, are actually forced to leave their jobs. Um, they may go through sort of like a, a management appraisal system in work, and um, they are told that they're not meeting their responsibilities and often feel that they are failing. So women often leave the workplace before they even get to that place for fear of failing. Um, you know, and, and we are typically moved on um, or, you know, feeling like we need um, to leave the job um, for fear of failure. And, um, and I think that's one of the one of the things that fair treatment for women in Wales, uh, you know, are aiming to improve, you know, better menopause policies um, for people in work um, who would typically experience in the symptoms of, of menopause. And bearing in mind, you know, we are um, more than 50% of the population, um, you know, there, there is a large population of women that are struggling to continue to work. Um, and as well as work, you know, we are finding, you know, social situations difficult, unable to express our feelings. And so then we are becoming more isolated. Um, and all of those things are just continuously negatively impacting um, on our relationships in work. Lisa, I just want to break in um, because we've got a couple of questions that I think are relevant. Um, which is what would a good menopause policy look like? Perhaps we can post one in the chat uh, if you know of one, but also if you've got a few key points. And how many, um, Helen from Age Cymru has asked, do we know how many organizations actually have a menopause policy? Um, I'd be really interested to know. And I just want to give a plug for a TU, we worked with the TUC some years ago when I joined WEN, probably four years ago on um, a menopause in the workplace kind of toolkit for employers, which we can certainly, post a link to um and um yeah how many people have got these things lisa and what ideally just a couple of bullet points of what it should include um well i'm in the aniron bevan um uh, health board and um we are very lucky that we've got a menopause clinic in aniron bevan and i i have had this discussion um, with the healthcare professionals there. Um, and they are posting out to organisations locally um, in an Iron Bevan um, with an aim to improving an organisation's policy for women in work. Um, I know um, I went to an event a couple of years ago now with Torvine, um, and they were just publishing um, their menopause policy. Um, and I believe Unite and Unison, um, two unions, um, who are working hard um, with organisations um, to improve their menopause policy. So, it, you know, it could be really simple things in that menopause toolkit. So it could be about air conditioning, um, about women being able to take a break, maybe flexible hours of work, um, because if women are experiencing, you know, sleep problems, um, you know, have I, and I recall myself, you know, standing on the train station in Newport in the middle of winter, a bath of sweat at 7am in the morning and, um, you know, and, and feel, you know, the, the, the feeling that that gives you, you know, you feel embarrassed, you just want to hide away. 
Um, and women in the workplace, you know, it, it, you know, particularly if they're in an office environment, you know, you've got, um, you know, simple things like having a desk fan, allowing people more flexible working, taking a break when they need to. Um, and, you know, one thing the pandemic has shown us is a lot of work can be done from home now. So is that available, you know, for women in the workplace, you know, typically that are office based, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I know that the menopause doctor, in an iron bevan um they have gone round a number of organization in the nations in the in the newport area talking to um employers about how they can support women um in their workplace right thank you lisa um really interesting um yeah having going through the menopause myself currently um i a surgical menopause um which happened to me two years ago um, I can tell you that it is actually working from home is a bit easier to manage some of um, my symptoms. Um, I would love, though, to hear also. Also, I think what, what's happened to me is I when my mum went through this, she didn't talk about it to me at all. Um, and I never heard her and her friends talk about it. Well, me and my friends do talk about the menopause regularly now, and I'd be interested. I'm coming to Andrea next, as well as the question I'm going to put to you, Andrea. I was thinking. I'd really like to know if in your experience, people are talking about the menopause more at work and amongst your friends as well, because I think that's interesting to know, but I'm certainly making sure my, my two sons know all about it. Um, anyway, Andrea, my question to you was, do you think um, ageism is happening in the workplace and is the Office of the Older Persons Commissioner, Older People's Commissioner um, doing something about it? Thank you. Okay, I mean, yes, I think menopause is, talked about more now I do think it's talked about more so you know in, in I I started this job that I'm doing now within the pandemic so I've only worked at home but it's certainly in the previous office that I was in it is talked about and people are quite open about it and I think that that is important and positive really um in terms of ageism I we one of the other there are a number of leads, so the, the commissioner has a number of sort of key lead areas, and one of them is around sort of ending ageism and discrimination. So um, yes, there, there is a lot of work being done on that and promoting equality. Um, yeah, I mean the, the area I work in, I think all of these all of these things are interlinked and overlapped. Really, I mean it, even if I think back to my time in social work you get sort of the, the very intentional sort of abuse situations, but also you get abuse, which I think is probably unintentional, but is based upon these very kind of low level aspirations for older women and older people. So, you know, within perhaps care settings or for, for example, you know that the care that is, is sometimes given is, is just sort of, there, there are many aspirations for it. It, it isn't perhaps, a good quality because you're talking about somebody who's perhaps in their 80s or 90s so maybe it would only look at physical needs and not look beyond that to sort of um you know making sure that someone has opportunities for talking to other people or doing the things they like so i think it plays out in all sorts of ways really and i think with older people there, there is really a need to sort of change the whole mindset and the culture really 
which which accepts these low level sort of services and you know it is so much of it is based on attitude i think okay thank you um michaela um i wanted to ask what policy solutions you're calling for and um what can welsh government do to ensure that culturally appropriate services are delivered um when uh, obviously because we are funded by welsh government this equality department so because as they were reviewing their uh, 2030 um, uh, race equality action plan so the first two sessions we we did the main, the one session was general uh, professional obviously their input what their experiences when they're engaging with young to older people um, and what they would like as professional to be in that action plan. So that was one, but we also did two, especially two, two um, consultation actually, race equality action consultation with BME um, people. And they were two, because I'm leading older people agenda across Wales now, even though despite based in Gwent and cover, based in Newport covering Gwent, we were actually, so we, we invited carers and uh, older people from across Wales. And there was one question, because it's a 2030, there was a lady who is nearly 80 and she said, well, I am not going to be living to see the changes happen actually. But then there were discussion about seeing your children and grandchildren that I was thinking, hang on a minute, because I am reaching that age. For me, English is not a problem. For me, I know where to go to ask help actually. So some people did said, and Helena was very good actually, because in recognizing that the issues and one of the things we have kind of proposed will be advocacy, specific advocacy for BME older people. Um, there has been a lot of recommendations, especially with the health and social care services, that there is a need for training for professionals um, on uh, obviously older people, ageism, the issues. There's often in, say for example, I'll give you one example, or very often when someone is admitted into hospital, say they're older person, there will be pool of people visiting them. And quite often the staff will think when they will go home, they're in good hands. And nobody asked them um, that, you know, that would they be like, a, you know, would there be anybody to care for you? You know, who are your carers? Are they unpaid or are they working? You know, I, I, I'm not going to go into this horrendous case actually, which I was really, I mean, that was really eye-opening, which led me basically to, to kind of to older people agenda, because I thought people have contributed those older people they've lived their life but they've contributed a lot when they came to this country the women worked from home if i'm honest a lot of women from all background they work from home so they can look after children cook food when you are told actually you, you, you are, you've lived your life well why you are complaining about you know if you've got arthritis you go to gp gp tells you oh you're not going to run marathon yeah, I know because I've got multiple conditions, but still I'm sure there are things that you know you can help me with. So these kind of issues have been flagged, but also one of the main one of the one of the main kind of uh, obviously um, not proposal probably we are saying uh, we need more people from diverse communities from the top level to bottom level, those who are involved in decision making, policy making, to those who are delivering services from diverse communities because that will take the strain of the interpretation services. You know, people will be much more relaxed to speak to people in different languages. Um, I mean, so th there, are, th there are a lot of recommendations actually um, within the document, which the, you know, the consultation, which East has not only with older people, but also younger people. I can always send you the link 
and I can ask, you know, obviously Ginger, or I can ask Ross, you, I can send you the link where obviously there's a document which has was a draft. And then we had to go back again on it actually. And then we had to do another session with the older people because I felt that those people haven't been listened to. So they, I am fingers crossed, I'm being positive and see what changes because obviously there, there are goals, there are actions and there are outcomes within that documents actually. We would like to see it happening. Thank I think you. you're, an, you're, you're incredible at amplifying those voices, Rahila, of older BAME women. And I'm really pleased um, that, yeah, they, they, they have you as an advocate um, because obviously you're doing an incredible job and you touch on an area that's very close to the heart of WEN, which is around equal and diverse leadership across all aspects of Welsh life. Mm. So we, we do need more um, BAME, disabled, LGBT um, people in leadership positions across the whole of, of our lives so that everybody feels represented, as you say. So that's such an important point and something that our diverse 50-50 campaign um, aims to, to, to try and resolve. Um, I'm going to wrap up now. Um, and I just want to ask you for literally a two word answer to each of the panelists, and then we will wrap up. Um, and the question is, if you were first minister, what is the one thing you would say you want to do to improve lives of older women? So if you could just do one thing, what would that be? So first of all, um, Lisa. Menopause education. <laughs> Great, thank you. Andrea. Um, resources, so there's more time for caring well. Excellent. And finally, Rahila. I think for me, it will be education and training for a current staff, but more, more representative from diverse communities. Sorry, I've got two things. Sorry. <laughs> no, that, that is fantastic. What a great roundup of, um, I, I feel that really brings us to a really good close uh, for this WEN Cafe on older women, where we've really thought about different the different issues that affect older women. Um, please do, like I said earlier, please do join WEN um, if you'd like to hear more about our work and get more involved and connect with all the different organizations um, that are here today. A very big thank you to Lisa Nichols from FTWW, also to Andrea Cooper from the um, Older People's Commissioner Office and Rahila from East. Thank you for joining us for the WEN Cafe podcast and this really important discussion. Don't forget to join WEN as a member for free if you haven't yet done so. Just visit whenwales.org.uk and click on join us. You can also follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is at whenwales. Let us know what you thought of the podcast by getting in touch via our social channels or do email us. We're at admin at whenwales.org.uk